invite you to pray with me. Father, we thank you that we can come to you and we can truly call you Father. We thank you that we don't have to live as slaves to fear, but we can call you Father. And we are your children. We thank you for that truth. We thank you for your word. I pray that my words are clear, that they're true, that they're helpful, and above all, that they bring you glory and honor. I ask that you burn off whatever doesn't do those things. Holy Spirit, we invite you, we beg you to be our teacher this morning. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, good morning once again. Uh, my name is Jason, one of the pastors here at Community Church, and I am really glad that each and every one of you is here. Whether you've been coming here forever or you're just visiting family from out of town or you're just coming here and you're in the area and you're here for the first time, wherever you are in your journey, wherever you're coming from, it is good to be together. I want to catch you up if you haven't been with us. We've been in a series called Made to Flourish. Made to Flourish. And we've been, we started off in, in Psalm 1, which gave us this picture of the person who delights in God's Word, who meditates on God's Word day and night. And that person, the psalmist describes, is like a tree planted by streams of water. So we've got this beautiful picture of a tree that is flourishing. And we've been looking at these different systems over the last several weeks of flourishing. When we, we, we began with the root system of connection. How, how are we connected to God? How are we connected to one another? And then we worked our way up and we looked at the trunk and the structure of, of the branches and all that and how we have beliefs, we have practices that give our lives structure and rhythm. In the last couple of weeks, we've looked at kind of this metabolism system and how do we process the hard things of life, whether it's sin and confession or last week, how do we, how do we process and how do we flourish even in pain? So what do these systems look like? That's what we've been focusing on. So it's an inv invitation to do a little bit of inventory. Hey, where am I? What are my next steps? Really practical stuff. Encourage you, if you're newer with us, you can go back, you can listen to some of those, look at some of those steps you can take. Now today and next week, we're going to wrap it up by looking at the fruit of our lives. The fruit of our lives. This is, and when, when, when Jesus, when Paul, when the, when the New Testament writers they talk about our identity, both who we are and what, they, what we do, they tend to describe it in terms of fruit. That's who you are. All right, Jesus will, you know, say very clearly, and I'll just give you this at the beginning, Luke 6, 43, he says, no good tree bears bad fruit. Nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes 
from briars. What the Bible will clearly teach, what the writers of the New Testament will clearly teach is that who we are determines what we do. That what we do is a, comes out of who we fundamentally are. So we're going to dig in really from the inside today and look at who we are and what God calls us to be by looking at this fundamental teaching from the Apostle Paul in Galatians 5 where he's going to lay out this system of what it means to, to, to bear fruit. What should our lives look like? Now, some of you, I mean, let's, let's look around the room for a moment. Some of you, we're going to talk about fruit of the Spirit, and it's like, oh my goodness, I've heard a hundred sermons on the fruit of the Spirit. I know the song. My dear mother-in-law, for, for Christmas, we would do a happy birthday Jesus cake. Anybody else do that? I know some of you do. Nine candles, each candle represented fruit of the Spirit. Some of you are like, what are we even talking about today? This is brand new. We've got the whole range in this room, which I think is absolutely wonderful and a beautiful thing. So for some, it's a little review. Some, it's going to be brand new. But I believe God, through his spirit, has something for each and every one of us today. Now, let's talk about the Apostle Paul. Let's talk about Galatians chapter 5. I'd invite you to turn on, turn there, however you get the word do it. Get there. Paul, in this letter to the Galatian church, he's really concerned about this division between the Jewish people and the non-Jews or the Gentiles. In fact, he's really a little bit ticked off at Peter, all right? Peter, one of, the, one of the Jesus' inner circle, because what Peter has done is he said, you know, look, um, I understand that these ceremonial laws and some of these customs, we don't, that's not what saves us. It's, it's what Jesus did on the cross that saves us. But he's, some of these people are going back and they're saying, let's add to that. You've got to be circumcised. You've got to follow all these customs of the law to be the, part of the in-group. Even Peter, who used to eat with the Gentiles which was against the old laws, even now he's backing away a little bit because of the influence of some who are saying, look, Peter, you need to follow the old law. And Paul's going to say, no, 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 no. You're missing the point here. You're missing the point. And he's going to speak into what it really means to be free and how do we really live. So that's a little bit of context here. Now let's dive in. And let's go to 5.13. And I want to give you a couple truths here. The first is that we need to see reality. We need to see reality. I don't want to be gullible. I want to see things as they really are. I don't want to have rose-colored glasses. I want to be able to see what is really going on. One of the great things about the Bible, about the New Testament, about Paul, about Jesus, is there is always a clear picture of reality. 
There's no deception. There's no, there's no sugarcoating. It's the real stuff. So we're invited, first of all, to see reality. The first reality that we need to see is the reality of the battle. The reality of the battle we're in. I'll take you to verse 13. We already read, Kim and the team read some of this together. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. What we see here at the beginning is a battle. It is a conflict between really competing visions of freedom. You're free. Now, who will you serve? What will you serve? Will it be the desires of your own flesh? There's this Greek word, sarx, which doesn't just mean like this kind of flesh, but it's like deep down, it's your desires of the flesh, your desire to follow what you want to do. Or is it what the Spirit of God would have you do? You may remember, if you've been with us, that this, this call to love one another is not just some trite thing we might see on a, on, on a greeting card, but it is rooted in God's love for us. Paul was saying in Ephesians 3 that we are to be rooted and grounded in love. So the outgrowth of following the Spirit versus my own selfish desires is a battle between just following what I want to do all the time and my love for one another, which ultimately comes from my love for God. Let's go a little deeper. Verse 16, or, so I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, for the Spirit desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. What Paul is getting at at this battle, it is, it is not simply your behavior. It is not simply what people see on the outside, but it is at the core of who you are, your deepest motivation, your deepest desires. That's where the battle, my friends, is fought. We need to see that reality of where that battle is actually fought. Now, Paul's going to describe the consequences of this. He says this in verse 19. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Welcome to church. Happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> right? That's a, that's a rough list. That's a rough list. Part of what Paul's saying is, 
play this forward, if you do what you do, you just follow your own desires unchecked, this is what you're going to get. Now, let me bring it into our own language today for a moment. Eugene Peterson, in his paraphrase of this text, says this. He says, look, it's obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your own way all the time. Repetitive, loveless, cheap sex, a stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage. Frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness, trinket gods, magic show religion, paranoid loneliness, cutthroat competition, all-consuming, yet never satisfied once, a brutal temper, an impotence to love or be loved, divided homes and divided lives, small-minded and lopsided pursuits, the vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival, uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions, ugly parodies of community. I could go on. Let that list hit you for a minute. That has nothing to do with reality of our time. Now, just picture that list for a moment. Again, this is play it forward. It's obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your own way all the time. What Paul's saying is, look, let's talk about freedom. If you think you're free just to follow your own desires, play this thing forward, and this is where you're going to end up. This is where you're going to end up. Ultimately, apart from God, that's where we're going to end up. Now, think about our culture for a moment. And as followers of Jesus, and, I, and I, I'll emphasize this every now and then, we need to be students of our culture. We, we can't just stick our heads in the sand and say everything's great, praise Jesus. Because the Bible doesn't tell us to do that. It says always be prepared to give the reason for the hope that you have. I mean, we want to be outward focused even as God is working in us. But I want, to, I want you to think about this concept of freedom. This prioritization of freedom in our culture. Because it's the water we swim in. Now, let me give you some examples. We're going to play Name That Song. It'll be a generational tour. How about this one? I won't sing it. Everybody said amen. <laughs> See if you know this one. For what is man, what has he got? If not himself, then he has not. Not to say the things he truly feels and not the words of someone who kneels. My way. Frank Sinatra. You know that one? That's a little old school. This stuff's been around a while. Okay. Back in my English teacher days, go all the way back to the 18th century, Jean-Jacques Rousseau, man is born free, but everywhere is in chains. That's the philosophy. Okay? Now, one from my era. This isn't too sanctified, sorry. Picture me. Big car, 1976 Ford Elite. 
Some of you know what that is. The front end went from here to the front row. <laughs> white, white wheel tires. My wife, Kim, picture big hair. Some of you know that era. Here's the song. Again, I won't sing it. Living easy, living free, season ticket on a one-way ride. No stop signs, speed limits, nobody's going to slow me down. Anybody know that one? ACDC, highway to hell. I'm on my way. All my friends are going to be there too. It's a great party. But there's a vision of freedom there. Now I got another one. This one's a little more recent, a little more kid-friendly. And the fears that controlled me can't get at me at all. It's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I am free. Who's that? Elsa! Okay, now I'm not, don't walk out of here saying, oh, good night, I can't listen to Frank Sinatra. I'm, I'm going to hell if I ever listen to ACDC and I can't even watch Frozen. Don't hear that. My granddaughter was twirling last night, that's what, and singing, let it go, okay? I'm just saying, pay attention. Have your eyes open to the water that we swim in that says it's all about freedom. It's all about you. That's the world we live in. Just pay attention to that. Be aware of that. Now, what Paul's going to say is, play all that forward. If that's all I care about, is what I want to do about my needs being met, play that forward and you get an ugly list. An ugly list that ends with eternity apart from God. I love you too much not to be clear about that. Okay? We, we put our faith and our trust in Christ. We take that step of faith. We can say, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Put my faith and trust in him, and I can have freedom for eternity. Because Jesus paid it all on the cross. He paid the penalty for my sin, that I can truly be free and have a relationship with him. We've also got the reality of the growth process. Now, let me break this down for you here. But the fruit of the Spirit, I'm in 522, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, NIV says forbearance or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Now, I want to lean into this idea of fruit for a moment. Paul says it is the fruit of the Spirit. Why would he use fruit? Okay, theologians, commentators over time have, have paid attention to why would Paul describe this life in terms of fruit? Why fruit? What is it about fruit? Well, let me give you five things. And this is a co combination of a bunch of commentators all the way back to 
to Jonathan Edwards long ago, Tim Keller more recently. But five things about growth. First of all, when you look at spiritual growth, it is gradual. It is gradual. Have you ever watched a tree grow? If you just stare at it, what do you see? Nothing. It happens over time. It is gradual. At the same time, healthy things grow. Growth is inevitable. It is inevitable. If over time we are not growing, we don't have more of the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, that's a problem. Okay? It's gradual, but it is inevitable. All right? The third thing about growth, it is symmetrical. Now, I mentioned Jonathan Edwards, but he uses this fancy word, the concatenation of the fruit. Good night. Who uses a word like that? (laughs) Here's what it means. It's all connected. It's all connected. It's It's not the fruits of the Spirit. It is one fruit, which means we need to be growing in all of those aspects. How many of you are just naturally patient people? Nobody in here is patient? I know some, some of you are. I know you are. You may be patient by personality, not by spiritual growth. That may just be your personality. Okay? Some of you are naturally going to gravitate towards joy. That just comes out. Others of you, ugh, it's a real struggle. Now, he... Paul gives us nine. How many of the nine do we need to have evidence of in our life? Eh, two out of, you know, two out of nine, no. All nine. All nine is what we want to have. Now, some of those are going to be natural kind of personality. All right, one of the things we do in our first steps class is we, we, Delora leads us through a Uh, an exercise where we discover kind of our personality and our spiritual gifts and what that looks like, and we're all different. Thank you, Jesus. We're called to work together. But you may live in the household with somebody who has a different personality, and what's easy for you may not be easy for the people that you live with. That's the beauty of living together. It's the beauty of family. Some of you, yes, it's Thanksgiving. We get to all be together. Others of you, it's Thanksgiving. We all get to be together. (laughs) The Lord is working on me. My family's here. It's a joy to be together. I'm telling you right now. But when you think about that, part of what understanding that spiritual growth is like fruit growing or it's botanical is all of these things need to be developing. We don't just get credit for our personality. And then it's seasonal. Spiritual growth is seasonal. Just hear that for a moment. Some of you, I know it's like spring for you. 
I know some, it's like, oh, the, the word is new. Okay, I'm in community. I mean, we, we baptize students over here, and it's like they're finding community for the first time. And it's like, this is great. Wow. Others of you are in the dead of winter right now. You just are. And it's really, really hard. It's really hard. There's grief, there's loss, there's pain. Well, if spiritual growth is truly botanical, there will be those seasons. And they change, and we're going to experience them all over the course of our life. But the good news is, through it all, God is always working. He is all, even when we can't see it, even when we can't feel it, even when it's all you can do to get out of bed in the morning and get to work or get to church or feed your kids or whatever you got to do. God is always working. He's always working. One more thing I would add, if spiritual growth is botanical, um, we're also vulnerable to disease, to attack, just like a fruit would be. So part of that battle is we're, we're in a spiritual battle. We're, we can be under attack. So we got to see that reality. And, and when we look at that list, we look at the good list, we look at the bad list. And the Bible's full of it. Good list and bad list. Sometimes Paul will say, put these things on, put these things off. There's a remove and a replace. But there's a reality of the idols that are in each of our lives, the things that we're depending upon other than God for our joy, for our peace, for our happiness, all these things. So there's an invitation to look inside and say, hey, what's, what's really going on? What's underneath that? All right, I've got an activity for you. If you go to our website, ccgonline.org, this is like your homework if you want to take it. If you want to go a little deeper, go to where it says sermons, and then you'll see like small group questions. Click on that, and you can spend some time this week looking at those individual aspects, and there's an exercise that's going to help you through that. That's one homework thing you can do. In between games or whatever you're going to do, do a little inventory here. Now, I don't want to just leave you, though, with reality. Reality is a good thing. But I want to give you some hope. We can find hope and victory in the resources God has given us. We can find hope and victory in the resources God has given us. Now, if you're like me, sometimes you can just focus on the things that are hard. Had the opportunity... Uh, several weeks ago to go out to, to Colorado and hike a 14er. That means it's higher than 14,000 feet. It was great. Hiked up the mountain, wonderful experience. The oxygen gets thin, the higher up you go, gets a little steeper. It was a difficult, it was a challenge. And then I make it down and I'm all giddy on the way down. I'm feeling really good. 
And then I see the people walking up. <laughs> I'm so glad I'm in my shoes and not your shoes. But there's this little area where it's narrow. I'm going down. This guy's going up. And what do I do? I get out of the way. I said, absolutely, you can go. And he says to me, or he asked me, hey, how far do I have to go? I said, you got a long way, brother. And it gets harder and harder. And then I kept going. And my kids are like, Dad, you're such a jerk. Why would you say that? And I said, well, he asked me a question. I wanted to give him reality. That's reality. I've been on these hikes. Somebody says, you're almost there. And I, you're not almost there. <laughs> give me reality. I want reality. But here's what I wish I would have said. And you won't believe the view from the top. You won't believe the view from the top. Because when you get to the top, you'll look back, and the pain that you felt then, it was worth it. It was absolutely worth it. And it gives you a whole new perspective on whatever you're dealing with right now. Now let's think about the Holy Spirit. What does the Holy Spirit do? How does the Holy Spirit give us hope, give us resources? One of the things that the Holy Spirit does, Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 5.5. 5. It won't be on the screen. I just want you to hear it. He says, the Spirit is a deposit. That the Spirit is a deposit. It is guaranteeing what is to come. It is a guarantee of what is to come. It is a guarantee of heaven. It is a guarantee of eternity with Jesus. That, my friends, is some hope. Now, the Spirit's with you now, and whatever we see right now is a down payment. Some people say it's like an engagement ring of what is to come. It's a deposit. It's a hint. But that changes our perspective. Now, we live in the kind of the mess of the middle. Jesus has already died. Jesus has already forgiven us. We put our faith and trust in him. The top of the mountain is the not yet. We live in the mess. We live in the, some of the pain of the climb. But can we pause for a moment and imagine what is to come? Imagine what is to come. Now, three quick, um, three quick things here, and I want to leave you with this. When we have the Holy Spirit, what the Holy Spirit actually does, I believe, is it turns our got to into get to. It turns our got to into get to. It turns our, I've got to do this to dull the pain. I've got to do this to find relief. I've got to do, or I've got to do this to earn my identity. I've got to do this to, to, to please everybody. I've got to do this to find my place in the world. Whatever that may be in whatever stage of life you're in, whether you're high school, college, new job, or you're in your 80s, there's a got to that says, 
it's all on my shoulders to define who I am. That's a weight we weren't meant to carry. What the Spirit can do is take that got to and ultimately turn it into a get to. It says, this is an opportunity. Wow. I have life with God. I have life with God. Galatians 5.24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. It's a passage that says, I don't have to live the way the world lives. I don't have to get on that treadmill. I don't have to get on that conveyor belt of always having to define myself, of worry, of anxiety, of all those things. I can be free in Christ because I am a child of God. Three things that we get. We get a new identity. Paul said, you belong to Jesus. You belong to Jesus. A new relationship. We get to walk with the Spirit. The very Spirit of God, Spirit of God present in creation. The same Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. When you put your faith and your trust, that's a get to. We live in a dark world. I don't think it's getting any lighter. What an opportunity. And we have new motivation. We can live for Jesus. We ultimately can live for Jesus. Now, let this uh, sink in for a moment. And let's think about some next steps. You see that reality? Do some of that inventory. Look at the good list. Look at the bad list. Sometimes you can beat yourself up on that. Conviction can be a good thing, or conviction is a good thing. We don't grow through shame, though. Okay? I can see what's wrong. I can see where I need to grow. I can see the attitudes and actions that are off. But by all means, may we find hope in the resources that God has given us. And he has given us his spirit. He's given us his word. He's given us his people. We have resources that are available. But do that little inventory. The other thing, and and I would encourage you to do this. Anybody suffer from discouragement? Am I the only one sometimes? And, And sometimes we can look in. And that's good, and we got to do that. But we can also look out, even as we're looking in and dealing with whatever we got to deal with. I was so encouraged by what Brad said about all the people signed up for the Christmas event. So many that aren't a part of our church. What does that tell you? You all are late signing up? No, that's not what I'm going to say. We have a community out here who needs hope, who's looking for something. 
looking for something. May we be that people. All the signs, all the metrics of the world are kind of tough right now. Whatever you want to look at, it's hard. We have the answer. We have the hope. Not because we're just wonderful people. Because we have the Spirit of God. Amen? Well, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to prepare to come to the table. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you that you sent your Son to die for us. Why we were yet sinners. We didn't have to earn it. We can earn it. We thank you, Father, that you've given us the Holy Spirit to guide us, to understand your word, to remind us that we are your children and as a guarantee, a deposit of what's to come. Give us eyes to see. Encourage our hearts this morning. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, this morning, one thing we can do right now, even in response to to the word, is we can receive communion together. We can receive together. When we receive communion, I mean, even think about that word communion, that is a reminder that we are, we have a life with God. We can walk with the Spirit. We can walk with one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. Here at Community Church, the table is open to all who've taken that step of faith and trust. And what do we do? We remember that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he gathered his disciples in the upper room, and after giving thanks, he broke the bread and gave it to him and said, this is my body given for you. Take, eat, do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup and he said, this cup represents my blood, blood of the new covenant, blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. So just as we receive the bread, we also receive the cup. And Paul says a couple things. He says, examine yourself, okay, before you come. Okay, you have a, a, few, a few moments to do that. And we proclaim the Lord's death. We We acknowledge what the cross means, and we look forward to his return. That's what we do. So we'll pray together, and then the table will be open. So when you're ready, you can simply come forward, take the elements back to your seat, and receive when when you're ready. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for Jesus. Oh, do we thank you. We thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice. We thank you for your love. We thank you for what is to come. And we also thank you for what is true right now. So as we remember, we say thank you. And as we remember, we invite you to do the work in our hearts and lead us forward. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.